Psalm 52 To the chief musician Maskil A psalm of David When Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him David is come to the house of Ahimelech Why boastest thou thyself in mischief O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs, like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever, because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. You'll notice that in verse 7 and verse 8 there is a contrast between two men. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Now I think it is to be noted that Psalm 52 follows Psalm 51. I've often said to you in the past the organization and the arranging of the Psalter is designed. This Psalm 52 follows the famous Psalm of Repentance. Now there are similarities and parallels in some respects. They have the same author, they have titles, but in Psalm 51, which is later than Psalm 52, David is a king. David is on the throne, he's ruling and he's reigning, but in Psalm 52 he's not. He's younger, and he's being pursued by a king. In Psalm 51, he is a humbled, broken, repentant man, repenting for his sin. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. And done this wickedness. So there's a different tone in Psalm 51. It's humility. Repentance. 
contriteness for sin. But in this Psalm 52, he is indignant against someone else's sin. How are they linked then, seeing that they are so different? A humble repentant for his own sin, indignant for the sin of others. What's the link? What's the connection? Why are they placed beside each other? And I think the unifying threads are as follows. It is true that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even God's people fall into sin. Psalm 51. The righteous, however, repent. They become contrite. They ask God for forgiveness. They hope in God's mercy. The wicked, however, they do more wickedly. They continue in their sin. They strengthen themselves in their wickedness. And they don't repent. And the wicked and penitent are to be destroyed. That's Psalm 52. Psalm 51, the repentant find mercy. Psalm 52, the wicked and penitent are destroyed. So that's the link. In Psalm 51, we have a penitent, David. In Psalm 52, we have an impenitent, Doeg. We're speaking about Doeg this morning. He's someone you need to hear about. The Bible tells us about him on a number of occasions. And there's a world of a difference between David and Doeg. Doeg, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Doeg. David. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in thy mercy. Always. World of a difference between these two men. Doag does not belong to God. He is not among the saints. Doag is the Edomite. He doesn't belong to the saints and he does wickedly. And this wickedness commenced by telling tales. Now the story is related to us and we need to know something of the story. And we did read First Samuel 21 and 22. Saul is seeking to kill David. The man of God has to flee. He has to hide. And he makes journeys to different places in hiding. And on one occasion he came to Nob. He did not intend to stay there. He only came there to get some succor, some food. Nob is the place where the priests abide and where the hallowed bread is and where the ritual of the tabernacle is carried out. And the high priest there, whenever he sees David coming, he is rather suspicious. He's afraid because David, you see, he isn't accompanied by the usual royal household servants. He senses something's not right here, but he, he doesn't ask too many questions. 
And he doesn't really know the whole situation about David, but he is suspicious. David lied about his situation, unfortunately. That didn't help the whole business. He lied and he asked for food and Elimelech allowed him to have the showbread. That was all that there was available. The old showbread, the change it every day, the fresh showbread had been put on, just warm. The old stuff had been taken off. The priests can eat that for their own food and he gave some of the loaves of that to David and to his men. And then David also asked, had you any weapons? And he says the only weapon here is the sword of Goliath. Of course, David's familiar with that. He was the one who obtained that. And when he saw that, he says, that will do. There's none like that. And he took the sword of Goliath and he proceeded on his journey. And it does say in the story that Doag was there. And he saw this. He witnessed this. He saw the sword changing hands and going into the possession of David and that Edomite noted that. The story continues then in chapter 2. Saul is having one of his paranoid attacks again. Everybody's against him. Everybody's conspiring. He's not getting David. There's people with him, working with him. And he goes into one of these jealousy, wicked rages that he's renowned for. And Doag is there at this time. He says, I I saw David. Of course, Saul is all ears now. This Edomite begins to relate. I saw that the priest prayed for him. We don't read that in actual fact. I think that was a lie. It was the first thing that he brought out. It was the thing that really enraged Saul. He blessed him. He prayed for him. He gave him food. He gave him a sword. And the response of Saul was swift and severe. He called Ahimelech to come. And all the priests, and they all came, every one of them. And Saul interrogated him. And and you read the account, he's most rude. He has no respect. He can't talk decently. He's out for Ahimelech right from the beginning. He says, did you pray for him? Did you help him? Did you assist him? And Elimelech denied praying for him. He said, I didn't pray for him and I didn't know that he was in flight and I didn't know that all this problem was in the royal house. I was ignorant of all that. I didn't know about that to any degree. And then Saul said to the servants, slay the priests, fall on them. And they refused. And then he said to the Edomite, you, Slay the priests. And he did without question. It was sad business. 85 priests were slain, but it didn't end there. This wicked man and the wicked king Saul, they slaughtered the whole city of Nob. Men and women and children and beasts. You remember he couldn't do that to Amalek? God said, wipe out the Amalekites, leave nothing. He couldn't do that. But when he came to Nob, he did it. Not even beasts were left. The devastation was terrible. Abiathar was one of the priests. He managed to escape. He was the only one who did escape. And he fled to David. And he told David the story. And David was devastated by the matter. And he was sad. 
He even felt guilty because he said, I, I knew when I saw Doeg that day, I knew he would tell Saul. He knew in himself. And he felt guilty. He's feeling miserable. He didn't kill them. He weeps that their blood has been shed, but he feels stained in himself. He says, I've occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house, said Biathar. He'd become a broken man over, this, over the situation. And David was filled with that holy indignation. Now, whenever I was thinking about this story and meditating upon it, I recalled the New Testament situation where Jesus was among some people in Bethlehem. He was just a little baby. The Lord's anointed. Born in Bethlehem. And I recall King Herod and his servants putting to to the sword the male children of Bethlehem just because the Lord Jesus was there. Infant martyrs were put to death there for Christ who just came to Bethlehem. They were martyrs for the Lord Jesus. And there was a wicked King Herod and there were wicked men, wicked servants who carried out the wicked deed of slaughtering the innocent. So there's a parallel between that. The little babies died for Christ's sake. And these priests died for David's sake. Now the response of David to this was twofold. First of all, he took a biather in. He gave him promises. He gave him succor. He gave him assurance. He gave him comfort. And then secondly, and this is where we come to our psalm, he sought the spirit of prophecy. He got before God. He got his inspired pen out on the page. And seeking the spirit of the Lord upon him, he wrote a divine oracle. It's a prophecy of the end and doom of the wicked man. And whenever you read this psalm, you are struck by its unusual nature. Because in this psalm, a wicked man is addressed and spoken to. It doesn't begin talking to God and saying, Oh Lord, But it begins speaking to that wicked man. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? Sarcasm here. You're the world's hero. You're the world's mighty man. Why do you boast yourself in mischief? Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs. Thou lovest Evil more than good. Thou lovest all devouring words. God shall likewise destroy you. And take you away. He's writing to Doeg. He's addressing the man directly. It's unique. It's different. From the rest of the Psalms. Now, not that David wrote to Doak, or even that he sent him this psalm. 
And I don't even suppose that Doag ever saw it. But David is doing it for rhetoric. He is doing it to impress God's people with divine truths. He's doing it to force upon their minds the word of God that no wicked man can escape the judgment of God. Now as I say when David wrote this he was much distressed. And that explains the, the rhetoric, the way that he's doing this, the form of address. Whenever David wrote it, Doag was on the pinnacle of his career. He's a hero now. He's a mighty man. He's exalted. He is rich and influential. He's in the royal court. And David predicts his doom. Verse 7, this is the man that made not God his strength. And in predicting his doom, in the spirit of the Lord, he predicts the doom of all wicked people, of all the ungodly, especially of deceitful and bloody men, especially of the persecutors of the righteous, and of all that are poor and needy, and do injustices to the poor and needy, and to God's people in particular. Why is this in the Bible? Why in our Psalter do we have a psalm about all that messy business that would just make you weep? This wicked man, Doag, why does he get his name in there? Why is there a whole psalm given to this horrible event? Well, the psalm tells us why. There's a wee word there in the title. Masco. To the chief musician, A masco. A song of instruction. There's instruction here that God's people must never forget. There's something here you need to know, saints of God. That's why it's in the Bible. You would nearly miss that word masco. But that sets forth the reason for it, the importance of it. It's to go into the tabernacle, into the temple for instruction of the people of God. You see, Doag is not a one-off. The devil has Doags in every generation, in every land and nation, and in all places, at all times. The devil has his Doags. And God's people in every generation need instruction concerning them. They need to know that they will face doags in life. They need to know that the doags in their life who are in opposition to the church of Jesus Christ that they shall be destroyed. That God shall deal with them. So you see, this isn't only about doag. It's not just in the Bible about doag. It's not just that for that reason. The early Christians knew that whenever the church began to receive the apostolic teaching concerning the Antichrist and the things that the church were going to have to suffer down through the ages, the Christian church early came to the viewpoint that Doeg was a type of the Antichrist and of all wicked men who lead opposition to the people of God. Doeg is a type. Doeg is a foreshadowing. Doag is a, is a forerunner of more who are to come. This psalm is a prophecy of the doom of the wicked one. 
You remember how the apostles have told us, there shall that wicked one be revealed. There's a wicked one coming whom the Lord shall destroy with the spirit of his mouth and with the brightness of his coming. There's a doe egg to arise. And that's why it's in the Bible. To tell us this, to remind us of this, and that God addresses that wicked one when he does arise. And we can remember the word that God says to him, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, thou mighty one? You're a hero to the world, but God will destroy you. And we can say this about all the ungodly wicked who arise, who persecute the people of God and who slay the saints. This is their psalm. God speaks to them directly. This is the man that made not God his strength, that's trusted in the abundance of his riches, that strengthened himself in his wickedness. This is him. So his character is described in verses 1 to 4, and then his end is described in verse 5. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. So it's a prediction of his character, a prediction of his end, foreshadowed in the life of Doeg. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ had his Doegs to face. Even when he was born, we said there were some slaughtered the little babies. And then there were the chief priests, the false witnesses that rose up against him, the high priest, the Roman governor, the Roman soldiers, the powers that be that crucified him. They used their power wickedly to destroy the Christ. They did so against Jesus. And brethren and sisters, we are sure that they will do so against Christians. They will. The days of the arising of a wicked one and the destruction and persecution of the saints have not ended. They have not gone for good. These Psalms are in the Bible for such times. And at such times we're going to need a mascal. We're going to need a psalm of instruction to give to us understanding in such days. So this is in the Bible for times of persecution. Maybe even yourself are suffering at the hand of some doeg in the workplace or in some other place. And this is to remind you that you face the eggs, but God will remove them in his judgment. So we're like sheep for the slaughter, brethren and sisters. That's the truth of the matter. And our bones are scattered, as the psalm says, at the grave's mouth, like one that cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. You know, someone comes in with a hatchet and chops up the wood and the timber is all over the place. And there comes days whenever that's the church of Jesus Christ. They're just cut up and chopped up and their bones are all over the place. There have been such times. It was like that 
for the priests of Nob. They were all over the place. Their parts and their remains. Maybe they were left to rot and to rot there and their bones were scattered. Such times may come again. And what can Christians do? Well, what, what did Abiathar do? He fled to David, didn't he? He didn't take up the sword of revenge. He didn't raise up an army against the established power and authority. He just fled to David. And fleeing to David, he found refuge and he obtained promises and he got help. And brethren and sisters, that's all we can do in times of trouble and tribulation. We have to be like a biother. We don't take up the sword in powerful revenge, but we flee to Jesus. We flee to Jesus to receive comfort and succor and help. To find our refuge with the rejected one. Because they haven't just rejected us, they've rejected Christ. We have to fly to our Christ. That's all we do. Is that all we do? Yes. That's all we do. You don't fight. You don't revenge. You don't slaughter. You don't shed blood. You don't take up the sword. You just are like sheep to the slaughter who follow and come to Jesus. And what did Abiathar get? Well, you know what he got? He got this psalm, 52. Because David went away, after hearing about it, he went away and he wrote the psalm. And you know what he did with the psalm? I believe he gave it to Abiathar. He's the only priest left. The word of God is to go into the tabernacle. The word of God is to be in the hands of the priest to instruct the people. The word of God is to be sung in the temple and the tabernacle. He gave it to the priest. He gave it to Abiathar. What did Abiathar get? He left the bodies of his brethren. He left the bodies of his family. Slaughtered in bits and pieces all around. He managed to flee. What did he get in its place? He got Psalm 52. What a comfort it was to him. God will judge the wicked. They'll not be heroes forever. They'll not be in their high places for generations and generations. God will deal with them. God will take them away. Antichrist will be brought down. The wicked rulers who persecute God will take out of the land in his own time. We just have to wait. That's all. So that's what teaches us. Vengeance is not ours. God will repay. And then, of course, none of us want to be like Doeg. And none of us should imitate his actions. Now, I don't suspect that any of us would ever slaughter people of God with the sword. But it didn't start out like that, did it? Started out with tales. Started out with reporting. He prayed for David. Seems harmless enough. Maybe half true. He told mostly true, didn't he? He he 
give him victuals? He, he give him a sword? I mean, he's a witness, isn't he? Didn't he see those things? And isn't he just telling the truth in the main? Maybe exaggerating slightly. Maybe putting a wee slant on it. That's the way of a wicked man. To do that. To twist. To tell it in a way that has a slant. Either to promote oneself or to bring hurt or damage to another. Brethren and sisters, little sins become greater sins. And little sins begin with tales. Tales. To damage people. To hurt people. Don't be a tale bearer. Don't even let the seed of Doag's wickedness abide or begin in your heart. Don't tell a story with an evil intent. See what it could lead to. The damage, the hurt, the bloodshedding. Study to be quiet. And also the lesson here, we shouldn't obey wicked commands. It doesn't matter who tells us. Saul said, fall on the priests and slaughter them. It's a wicked command. And even his servants, his own clansmen, the Benjamites, even they wouldn't do it. Even they knew that much, you can't kill a priest. Why? Because he gives some bread to a man? Because he didn't know the whole situation. Because he was ignorant. Because he was naive and gullible. Well, that's just about the height of Ahimelech's offences. Naive and gullible. But he's a naive and gullible priest. And they wouldn't touch him. They would disobey their king before they would touch him. And Saul knew he wasn't going to get anywhere with them. But the Edomite, he's different. He's not an Israelite. He's ready to get into the good books of the king. He's ready to make his way up to the top. He will do anything to do it. He will strengthen himself in his wickedness. And he slaughters them all without a thought. You see, when a wicked ruler tells us to do something wrong, we disobey. We disobey. These soldiers who, who go off and do wicked crimes and do the butchery that they do and say, we were just totally dishonored, Judah, they need to think again. You can't use the excuse of someone in high command commanded you. You know it's wrong. You can't do it. You have to disobey. Better to obey God than to men. So that, that, that lesson, that masculine, that have to have understanding of that. But do I not know? Was he that ignorant? He did know. He knew it was wrong to kill these men. He knew he didn't tell the story right. He knew he shouldn't open his mouth the way that he did. He knew, he knew. But he still did it. He knew. 
but he was given to wickedness. That was the thing. He was abandoned to sin. He even boasted in it. But in his soul he knows. And you know what that knowledge brings? Fear and dread in his soul. Because he knows it's wrong. There's no pace to the wicked. He has a pace. He knows. His deep inward soul exposed before God. He trembles. He dreads. He fears. And he has no pace. Fear and dread. That's what the impenitent have. They have no pace. They have fear and dread. They won't repent. But they have fear and dread. They know they won't live forever. They know they will come and appear before God. They have fear and dread in their soul. Do you know what doeg means? It means fearful one. Fearful one. Fearing one. Not fearful as a warrior. Not fearful as fearing man. For he did not fear man. He did not fear the priests. But fearful because he has in his heart the dread of coming judgment upon him. He's fearful. And the wicked and impenitent are fearful. Remember how the book of the Bible closes in Revelation about all those that go to hell. Their different characteristics are described. You know what the first is? But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Now that word fearful, the fearful, that instantly brings to your mind Doeg, his name. Fearful one. The fearful one. The wicked, the Doeg, shall have his part in the lake of fire. So the end of the wicked is predicted in Psalm 52. It's very solemn. This is the end of those who refuse the path of Psalm 51. This is the end of those who refuse to pray Psalm 51 but continue on in penitent in their wickedness. Sinners must repent. Sinners must pray Psalm 51. If they don't pray Psalm 51, they will experience Psalm 52. Sinners must repent. And David is not self-righteous. Psalm 51 tells us that he's just a sinner too. But he's a sinner in verse 8. Who's in God's house. Planted there in God's grace. Among God's people. Trusting. In the mercy. Of God. Are you trusting in the mercy. Of God. We're all sinners. But are you a sinner strengthening yourself in your wickedness? Or are you a sinner repenting 
and trusting in the mercy of God. The wicked whirling shall be uprooted and pulled out and destroyed. But the child of God will have a healthy, vigorous, spiritual Christian experience in God's house. Which is it? Let us pray.